Hey, this is the interview part of the video. Can Wikipedia help offline reinforcement learning? If you haven't seen it, I've made a comprehensive review of this research paper in the previous video. So be sure to check that out. The authors that I speak to today are the authors of this paper. They've seen my review and they're ready to dive in and tackle all of my criticisms. It's a big privilege to have the authors on and to be able to ask them any questions. So please let me know how I'm doing. Let me know how I can improve these videos for you. And as always, if you like, leave a like and I'll see you around. Bye. Hi, everyone. Today, I'm here with Michelle Reed and Yutaro Yamada, who are the authors of the paper, Can Wikipedia Help Offline Reinforcement Learning? First of all, uh, both of you welcome and thank you very much for being here and discussing the paper with me. Thank you. Oh, for thanks for inviting us. So I, I obviously, you know, the, the basic ideas of the paper I've, I've mentioned, what, what would interest me is just um, how would you pitch the paper if you had to pitch the paper, let's say someone comes up to you at a poster presentation or, or something like this, what would be your initial pitch, like whatever, 30 second or a minute, um, the basics of what you do? Uh, I'll give it a shot. Uh, let's see. So here um, in our paper, uh, we look at uh, seeing whether, say, Wikipedia or language pre-training uh, can help other sequence modeling tests. And in this case, we focus on uh, offline reinforcement learning. And I found this to be personally like a pretty cool project because essentially um, the reasons are not completely clear, to be honest. Uh, but we see that with this language pre-training, we can actually see um, quite substantial gains in certain areas. Um, over like regular, like random, random initialization. Um, and I think even more interesting is that it, uh, these models managed to converge faster, uh, which shows that there is some sort of information there that is helpful. And personally, um, I'm pretty interested in this line of research because it really begs the question, like how are these seemingly unrelated tests similar? Is there a way to see how similar they are? And maybe even um, encourage like a new paradigm for transfer learning. Uh, where you don't even need like uh, conventionally related data. How did you, you mentioned it a little bit why it's interesting and I, I completely agree and the results are uh, astounding, I would say. How did you get the idea to do this? Because initially, if someone told me, you know, you just pre-train something on language and then use it for reinforcement learning or, or something like this, you'd dismiss it quite quickly, let's say, of all the ideas that you could choose from. So how did you, like, did you have some indication that this could work or a hunch or did you just try it at some Saturday morning? Like, how, how did it come about? Uh, sort of a mix of all three. So like, to, to, like, I guess as a background, we have that, like, say, in multilingual learning, um, it's been demonstrated by a couple of papers now uh, that say you can transfer, like, an English bird to a Spanish um, BERT, for example, um, or you can like add new languages to, uh, to like say a model where it wasn't pre-trained on those languages. Um, or even there's like an experiment in the MBART paper, I think, where they have like this ablation where they pre-train on like six languages and then they test, um, on like some unseen languages, if I remember correctly. And that works too. So like in the multilingual setting, um, this sort of intuition has been demonstrated, though you could argue like, oh, it's language um, to language. Mm. Um, and then uh, I was talking with the other author uh, in this paper, Shane, 
uh, one day we were just chatting and we ended up talking about like pre-training for RL and I was like, oh, there's no pre-training for RL. Um, like they haven't had like their BERT moment or their GPT moment yet. Um, and we were discussing, um, he was like discussing the limitations. And then I was like, why don't we try doing a language model? And then, yeah, and then it became sort of like the Saturday morning experimentation session, uh, which you like alluded to, which is like, I was like, that day I was like, okay, let me just try putting a language model there and see what happens. And the initial results uh, were actually quite surprising in a good way. So we decided to continue doing that. Oh, I was going to just add on to like, I remember you, uh, Marshall was saying that when, 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 when Shen's first, when Shen's first reaction was like, there's no way that's going to work. Like, you know, that's sort of, you know, like, <laughs> I, th- I don't think he was really excited about the idea, but like, when, when Marshall actually did experiment and showed the results, he was like, really, yeah, excited. And even, yeah. <laughs> um, you, you, the, the basic concept here is, I think it's, it's very simple and therefore the sort of the setup of the paper is very simple, right? You pre-train on this, on this language modeling objective and you make a point that it is, um, the autoregressivity might be somewhat important right here in, in what you do. And then there is this decision transformer on the, uh, on the right hand side. Um, now did I, I don't know how much you've seen of my introductory video, but did I get anything wrong in the setup here? Or did you, did you want to highlight a specific part of this? Like why could language models be particularly useful for this kind of uh, reinforcement learning offline, offline reinforcement learning with decision transformers? Right. Uh, yeah, I think you captured it uh, pretty well. Um, I guess like we'll go deeper into like sort of maybe the reasons why this could work as we go deeper into the questions, but like as like a high level idea, yeah, um, I think you captured it pretty well. Um, I, I was always just maybe as, as a side note, I was always a bit astounded by these decision transformers, by the whole approach of, of doing this as kind of this sequence modeling, uh, with this fixed context size and these returns to go. And then I just essentially, I essentially say, well, I just want like a really high return, like just get me there. Um, it seems, it seems very special, <laughs> but it seems to work. I don't know if you have any, any thoughts on this, not necessarily related to your, your paper, but I do find it a very special model for, for reinforcement learning specifically. Yeah. Uh, like for sure. Like actually I was experimenting with like, um, trying some higher returns. I don't think we included mm-hmm. it in, in the paper. Um, but sometimes, like, especially during early stages of training, you could, like, get free returns almost, um, by just using, like, an artificially large, uh, returns, um, to go value. And then suddenly, like, the model would get better at test time. <laughs> um, for example. So, yeah, this, I, I think it's, uh, pretty amazing, mm-hmm. honestly. Um, maybe shows something about the power of transformers to sort of, like, gather sort of idea, or ideas or, like, states. Um, together and combine them yeah. in interesting ways. Um, you, I think we, we can directly go a little like into the results, uh, because as I said, the setup is, is quite simple. Um, now you test on two different, on two different data sets. So just to remind people, we have, uh, the decision transformer, which kind of serves as the, the baseline for what we're trying to do. That's sort of a same model with the same technique and the same inputs, just not pre-trained on language. 
And then there is this, am I pronouncing this correctly, Chibi T uh, model that is the same size but has been pre-trained on language. And then there's GPT-2, which is a lot larger and obviously has been pre-trained on language. And then you have some, some baselines over here that are just for offline reinforcement learning. Now, you can you mentioned that your models consistently outperform or the language pre-trained models consistently outperform the decision transformer. But one of my worries here was that the standard deviations, especially in this experiment, they seem they seem ginormous. Um, is, is there, like, how can we be sure we're not just measuring, like it's better in the, in the bottom table right here, but on this DQN benchmark, how can we be sure we're not just measuring noise in these cases? I would say, um, well, A, we can't <laughs> be sure, uh, but I would, I could say, I would say that like the trends across mm. experiments um, do tend to like point towards a certain direction. Um, and also like this was like, I'm uh, generally like a language person. Uh, so when I was coming to RL and I was saying, oh, wow, we just changed the random seed. Um, and well, it changed by this much. It yep. was quite surprising to me. Um, but after like running experiments uh, many times, it seems the trends uh, were towards one direction. But I guess we could clarify that with some like mm -hmm. significance tests. Um, and yeah, things like that. I, I was, I was, uh, I think I was mentioning that that the trend is in in one direction. I think that's that's much more convincing than you know anything being inside or outside of some standard deviation. What surprised me also is that uh, there just I think that's just a property of reinforcement learning as such. For example, this the Qbert environment. All of a sudden, you see, for example, there are baselines that just fail. Like they they just nothing right and then all but all of a sudden these models also aren't as good but then this model is really good like how do you and also in the bottom table i think a lot of times sort of which model is better than which other model is all over the place uh sometimes these are better sometimes these are better do you have an explanation of what's going on here why, why is there such a let's say i a diversity of which approach wins in which circumstance? Uh, no, um, but I, w I would say uh, this is what is pretty interesting. Like I feel, now again, I'm coming mm -hmm. from like a language perspective and I'm sure an RL person could give you like a much better explanation. Uh, but even when I was experimenting, I noticed like for some environments, the transformer tended to do like like even early on, like the language pre-training tended to do like significantly better um, than the, say like the not language pre-trained models or even like the other models we have here. And this is just, honestly, it's my intuition, but I feel like some of these techniques are like very um, specialized or maybe like very specialized to the sense that maybe we don't know exactly what it is, but there are some properties of the environments that really go nicely with certain techniques but then don't go nicely with certain others and it's sort of like this random sort of puzzle um game that's being played here uh that was my intuition when i was like playing with it i was like oh wow this is this is pretty weird actually um but yeah that's that's my intuition yeah also even with like if you look at like a gpt2 a G gbt columns i think it sort of varies across the environment um as well so i think that sort of um speaks to it. I, I also feel in reinforcement learning a lot of times these algorithms are 
almost like designed with a problem in mind. Um, they they are formulated as these general algorithms, but I think a lot of times people people go and they see ah oh, what's the problem. I felt like this, you know, like go explore that the first algorithm that solved Montezuma's revenge, right? I looked at it and I was like, you just you just like essentially hard coded the game into the algorithm. Even even with their they had two versions, even with their non non human designed feature space. I'm I was just like you you looked at you know, you looked at what fails and you just hard-coded a solution and you just, I'm trying to tell me that this is a general, maybe something like this is happening here too, where people, they analyze what goes wrong in particular environments and then they make an algorithm that would specifically address those problems. I find this to be, I find reinforcement learning to be an interesting field because of, because it seems like it's so not solved yet. Um, when we just look at your models, there is a there is a discrepancy. First of all, uh, I've noticed that a lot of times the the GPT two here doesn't significantly. Sometimes it outperforms, but oftentimes it doesn't significantly outperform the much smaller model. Um, do you have an intuition as to maybe what's you know why don't we see a bigger benefit of large models here? It's you say somewhere it's. Uh, over a hundred times larger. Uh, my intuition is this. So, like, I think with like the certain papers we've shown that like larger models can fit um, like larger amounts of data better. Uh, maybe we can even extrapolate from those larger amounts of um, data better. But if we think about what we're transferring here, and it's not again, it's not completely clear as of yet. Um, but if we assume that it's say maybe a smaller set of um features or properties rather than like language as a whole but maybe like some properties of language um then we can maybe say that okay if gbt and gpt2 despite their like very different sizes have learned sort of the same sort of maybe some element of the structure some notion of hierarchy uh, or something like that and they're both learned like relatively equally so to say um then maybe size doesn't matter as much here given that uh we're fine-tuning on this same like relatively small um amount of like trajectory data um so that's that's what yep. i think is it called gbt because it sounds like gpt no uh okay because, <laughs> because well it was sort of related um uh, but gb like is means like sort of small mini okay. um, type of thing in Japanese. So it was like a, a joke um, because initially, so initially I was calling it ChibiLM actually. Uh, like when I was just referring to it because I needed a name, I couldn't write like the small pre-trained language model um, every time. Uh, and then Shane was like, you know what, let's make it ChibiT. Uh, so then that's, that's what it And you, you mentioned that uh, clip often it performs a little bit worse and to note you only you only use the text encoder or sorry the text uh, model from from clip which is an an, an um, a a sequence model like the other ones and also there's igpt image gpt that performs a lot worse we can see it in this table it just gets nowhere right and um, you had some hypotheses do you want to maybe especially for for the image gpt um you what what is your hypothesis on why that is just 
kind of a failure case. Yeah, I think Utaro can answer this one because he was like master of running these experiments. Yeah, yeah. so, well, I think um, the image, stru like the structure that's in the image, like, so uh, image GPT is, is trained on basically unrolled pixels um, mm -hmm. from like, a, from images. And I think the structure that's there in the image is like a really different um, from the structure that you've seen in language. Um, and it, in a way that like, like if you only have a static image, and if you only have like a pixels up there, mm -hmm. it's really hard to even like group, you know, it, which pixels group together into a discrete like up like unit of objects, like you know, discrete um, um, I guess discrete objects. So so that that um, so first of all, like GP, IGPT or image GPT, um, sort of like has to figure out that sort of like discreteness, like um, before um, it can actually has the ability to transfer to these um. Uh, RL settings where it has more discrete structures. Yeah. And so yeah, that's, that's, I think, one of the main reasons why, uh, the current version of image GPT that are trained on static images are not really, uh, uh, good at transferring from, from their domain to RL tasks. And then I think if we can actually train, uh, the sequential modeling or sequential models for like a video data where, um, uh, it'll be much easier to extract, um, these like uh, discreteness because because if you only look at like, images or static images it's really it's and if you don't have any prior information about objects like it's really hard to extract you know objects only from static images but if you have a temporal dimension mm -hmm. if you have a video info, uh, information then it becomes much easier to extract those disc uh, these, these um, objects because you know if you look at like a frame t and frame t plus one you look at like a, a pixels the transform from, from t and t plus one um you know there is a difference in terms of perspectives yeah. so that sort of gives you a strong hint or strong cue regarding like which uh, which pixels group together mm. um and that's a really difference i think that will make eventually i think if we have if we invest more into video um uh, research and if sequential modeling in the video domain, I think it'll be a really big difference. Um, that, that I think I'm, I'm really excited about like the, um, the, um, the future of a G, uh, like a structural um, modeling that uses the videos. And I, I'm excited to see how that uh, pre-trained model on the video will be transferred to like a different domains like RL in the future. Yeah. And, and possibly the um, sort of the direction into vector quantized models might also help a little bit because uh, not working on, as you say, it's really hard to even get what pixels belong together. But if we had more of token based approaches, maybe, you know, that could that could help decouple from the pixel level just just a bit. But that's, I guess that's just speculation uh, by me. And uh, one speculation I also had was with respect to um, your alignment modules right here. So you have these, you have these linear projections that try to make the token embeddings of the RL problem as close as possible to the token embeddings that were seen during language pre-training, which makes sense because you kind of get to reuse, let's say the, the paths that are already there for the language models. Uh, in your ablations, you show that these, it, also works without them, which was good 
for me to see because sometimes uh, it's little things like this that only make stuff work. Um, but in you know there is a difference between the distribution of language tokens, which is usually like a zip distribution or or some sort of very heavy tailed, uh, but but you know sharp distribution, um, and image tokens, which by construction tend to be more uh, uniform. Um, especially, you know, if you think like pixels, but also the vector quantized models, they are by design uniform. Um, and with the RL problem, could it be that it's it's also a matter of how the tokens are distributed? Um, maybe the the RL tokens are again more more Zipfian distributed, and that's why it might fit a lot better. Or did you investigate the appropriateness of this? Uh, how the embeddings? Uh, look like um so no we, we didn't actually look into how the embeddings looked like that was like um we actually planned to do this because i think like personally i think it would be like really cool for example if we found out that it actually like these embeddings turned into like a sentence mm -hmm. um or something like that um but i do uh, agree with your hypothesis about maybe like how the tokens are distributed um, or how frequent things are. And I think this also sort of relates to sort of the structure in language or like this natural tendency to express things in a certain way. And you may want to express certain concepts more often um, than others. And then there's also like sort of this conditional nature, like maybe only if this concept appears, which is represented by a certain set of tokens, then you want to talk about this. Um, which in a sense you could say mirrors uh, RL uh, or like just any like sort of activities that you would do um, versus image modeling. Um, personally, I feel it's it's cool like as a topic, but I also do feel it's very forced in a sense. Um, it doesn't feel very natural to me, if that makes sense. Do you feel that there are other disciplines that would transfer well to reinforcement learning. I don't know if you've thought about this. You, you, you do include language and images. So maybe you thought of even other things. There are, I don't know, protein modeling, genetic sequences, there is sound and so on. Do you have any hypotheses or any plans to try out other modalities? Uh, yes, uh, that we, we do uh, want to try other things. I think like some interesting things, like in addition to what you mentioned, could even be like, you could argue, this isn't natural language, but it's usually grouped in together with like the NLP community, but like code, um, for example, uh, or even like testing out different languages, simpler languages, mm -hmm. um, controlling for complexity, uh, really, maybe even music. Uh, I definitely think speech uh, could be something else to try as well. Uh, as you alluded to video, I think there's so many things in sort of our uh, I don't know about saying like daily life, but there are a lot of things around us which sort of have like a natural sequential nature of things. And it would be interesting to see if somehow, uh, especially in like a low data regime, if these things are able to transfer to each other well, and if there are like some maybe underlying principles, uh, or maybe like some like biases that are learned uh, that correspond to like a large majority of sequential data or maybe certain types of sequential data and might also help us like group sequential data types, um, maybe learn learn more about how they relate to each other. Um, and I think if we we're able to do that, then I think we'd be able to study this even more in depth and maybe build models based on those findings. It's a pretty special world, right? That are, all our models converge 
from all the different modalities that even allow us to do things like this. I find it to be I find it to be a very special time uh, because it would not have been possible if all the image models are convnets, right? And and uh, all the all the speech models are somehow Fourier transformed some things. Um, everything sort of converging to transformers. Uh, some people might not like it, but it does enable sort of a bigger picture on on what even what it means to process data, or you know, if if you if you want to look at it like this. Uh, so these these attention plots right here, I found to be very interesting. Now, to be clear, this you say this is on uh, Hopper. So this is one of these uh, gym tasks, one of these continuous control tasks. Uh, is this one particular sample, or is this like an aggregate over the data set, or how how do we what is displayed here? So this is an attention map, given given a single trajectory. A single one, okay. Yeah, so it's a, yeah single trajectory. Yeah. Um, but we can we can assume it's kind of representative of. Um, of kind of what happens in in general. So I have made a bunch of observations here in my video, which some of which you also state in the paper. For example, this structure of of three, like the models often looking back three steps back, which makes total sense because the decision transformer input comes in these tuples of three, right? And I'm I'm gonna guess if I want to predict the next return to go. It's probably very related to the last one, especially if the reward is more sparse. I I can just predict like the same number again. I'm going to be correct most of the time, and maybe the same with actions. Uh, given that in the continuous control, frame by frame, I don't want to switch my action around too much. Maybe right, but <laughs> it's a pace to look mostly at these things. Um, what I found interesting is the image GPT had a sort of a, a just a recency bias like it just seemed to look just two or three tokens uh back in time which i think supports very well what you claimed that image modeling might be different from language modeling in that yeah it might be that the image transformer just sort of looks at a local neighborhood and then just goes on doesn't care too much about big structure i don't know it's just hypotheses and then the, I think the most shady thing I said was when, with respect to the random, randomly initialized decision transformer. So this this would be the baseline model, a transformer that from scratch is trained on this RL data. And I claimed what we can also see this sort of pattern of three, but much more strongly than in something like GPT-2, which does have, have a more diffuse attention. So here it's really super duper hard attention and I claimed that might that might hinder the model from uh, learning proper connections between things in the future because it already kind of discards in the early layers everything that would connect uh, sort of a state and a reward. Is this is this does this come close to what you concluded, or do you have like different insights into these attention maps or what's happening here? Uh, it's actually very, very close to uh, what we were thinking after looking at these attention maps. Mm -hmm. I think one thing actually after watching uh, your video that I didn't really notice until you pointed it out was like those yellow blocks of two. Mm -hmm. I didn't actually notice that they were actually two, um, uh, which I think is actually pretty cool uh, to see like maybe it, those, like for those ones it waits 
um, like two of them together, maybe with different weightings. But overall, I think the interesting thing is that it's pretty consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, like it doesn't necessarily change, like the patterns don't change significantly, um, which is sort of unlike language, for example, where you can see things like generally there is a recency bias to some degree, um, but you can see things like depending on the token, uh, go like like pretty far if it's like attending to similar tokens from far back. But then again, um, if you do think about it that way, you could argue like action uh, representations would probably be similar to action representations, state-to-state representations, and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe actually the language models um, and even the randomly initialized model are mirroring that. Yeah, it's, I've, I found it to be very special how hard the attention patterns are is right here. But also there is always in distance of three rows, there is one that is just only looking at three steps back and six and nine and so on. And then the ones in between, there is one that has, as you say, that has two and one that even has like, it seems like almost it has three, but just one is a bit stronger. It'd be interesting to figure out which one is which. I I, I don't think I can tell from this thing, but yeah. So I think the one that's only looking at like three behind, yeah. um, if I remember correctly, is the returns to yeah. go. Um, and then the ones between that are, uh, the, say, the state representations yep. and then the action. Yeah, so the order is basically word state okay, action. Okay. So yeah, that yeah. makes makes a bit of sense. And we, I think the sort of the result right here, I think in the middle layer, it's it's really nicely shown that something like GPT, it will start to focus on maybe kind of the important things in the past. Uh, it will select some of them um, to focus on and so no matter which time step it will kind of look back at maybe what it determines to be important states whereas the randomly initialized one it will almost be like stuck in this mode of how it looks back and my so my question here and and you can clearly see it in the last layer in that in GPT-2 there's still this sort of focus and attention on maybe what what it determines to be important things in the episode and the other ones they just have like a diffuse attention matrix and my question would be um might it be possible that we could achieve the effect between let's say gpt2 and and the random one like this this benefit through a much simpler procedure of just kind of regularizing just saying like, you know, don't make your attention so hard, like make, you know, just kind of keep your options open, um, try to look back a bit further, don't don't try to be so sure yet. Is that, you know, is that something that's reasonable? Or do you think uh, there's reason to to discard that idea? I think it's I think it's reasonable to try. Um, But I still do feel that I think the if we do something like this, then maybe we again fall into the trap of what we were like talking about earlier is like this essentially like putting a band-aid um, on like a very specific um, problem per se. But I think like the cool thing about transformers is uh, they can learn a lot of different things. So I think if if say like with a language model, for example, it's um, it's an initialization, you can fine tune it however you'd like to. And I think it's more like flexible in that sense. 
Um, unless, like, say, we were trying to tackle, like, a very specific issue, then I think, yeah, it would be for sure something to try. Um, like, I think there's this recent paper for language modeling uh, by, like, Ophir Press uh, from UW, and he, they were looking at, like, say, how they can bias uh, the, like, basically enforce a recency bias. Uh, towards a language model and that like improves like extrapolation towards lo longer sequences uh, and so on. So I think in the in this case in language modeling it's like one specific task um, that they're trying to solve. But here if we like just talk about like offline reinforcement learning, uh, it's very very broad. And I think um, for example if you tried like Ophir's trick in uh, like say for pre-training BERT or something like that. Now again this is just conjecture. But I have a feeling it may not work as well, um, given like there's, uh, I would say, a lesser, like um, there was also another paper by, I don't know who it was, but I think from Danchi Chen's group at Princeton recently um, about like uh, the masking rate in BERT models and things like that. And perplexity doesn't necessarily correlate yeah. uh, with downstream performance and so on. Um, so yeah, if we're tackling a specific task, I would say sure, but I think the one nice thing about the language model pre-training is how flexible it can be. Yeah, I was, um, I mean, I was the same. Uh, I'm probably, as you say, falling in the same trap that I criticized the field of reinforcement learning, saying, you know, looking at one thing and saying, can I make up something that would that would just solve this one thing? Uh, yeah, and I think, you know, the differences also to clip uh, show a little bit um, that it's not, it's not just, I can't just do... Um, any architecture or anything, there might actually be something to, to language modeling. Uh, in this table, you specifically show that the the um, language model pre-trained ones converge faster. And I had one question here, and that was that is how different is this code base? Like how much how much of the difference in convergence can I attribute to um, you just being better at implementing stuff? And how much is really due to this, these two things being pre-trained. Is it the same code base or did you re-implement or implement from scratch? I wish I could say I was like this amazing programmer that can make things so much more efficient, but no, unfortunately, we use the okay. same code base. So, yeah, so this is legit um, so, yeah. legit speed up that, that is due to the, the pre-training. Nice. Um, I guess like one caveat that um, mentioned like about GPT-2 is that the faster training speed is due to like faster yep. conversions, um, even though like it's pretty, even though it's pretty big. But like say, um, when like you're doing like your rollouts um, and stuff like at inference time, it is definitely like slower as to be expected by a larger model. Yeah, that makes makes sense. I was also surprised because in reinforcement learning, usually the conventional wisdom is that it needs a lot of resources. And here you you mentioned something like you know you have a single v. 100 and the time here is i mean even for the decision transformers it's a couple of hours it's not it's not i have to train on eight gpus for a couple of days i was just positively surprised by by uh just sort of the the requirements and this makes it more accessible yeah i think that's the cool thing about offline rl um you just well you just have to like say fit a certain set of trajectories um, and there have been like a lot of pretty efficient uh, models recently mm -hmm. as well. So yeah, I think it's when you get into the online setting then things get um, pretty like computationally expensive. Um, you also mentioned that context size doesn't really matter. 
In fact, more context seems to make stuff worse a little bit, right? Like how significant this really is. Um, but do you have an idea here? Is that is it just because there's more noise? Um, or is there something wrong with the objective of the decision transformer? I think um, partially more noise and two, I think because of like say the tasks that are tested in gym, um, it's like you see a cheetah running, for example, or you have like this hopper, which is literally just yeah. hopping. Um, and that those, those motions are relatively repetitive. Um, like in Atari, for example, the context uh, is, I think, quite a bit larger. Um, I, I don't remember exactly what the value was, but maybe like 50 uh, or maybe even a bit bigger than that. Um, uh, but it's like, okay, for Atari, maybe you need more information because I guess like the actions that are being performed are more diverse um, and like sort of what can happen is more diverse. But then for these tasks, um, then maybe that much context is not as yeah. necessary. Uh, this is just my intuition. Maybe an RL person would be able to give a better idea of why. Um, so the the last thing that that was here very special is just the scaling behavior of these of these models, namely the with the language model pre-training, uh, you could scale to much larger models. Do you have a feeling of how that continues? Like does it does it continue dropping off and just not giving you returns anymore? or would it eventually also say you have like a model that's too large and uh, it would, drop in performance again versus a smaller model? Because my hypothesis was that language modeling, you have infinite data, essentially. So you can never overfit on the pre-training. Um, and therefore, you know, the, there might never be really an opportunity to overfit on a, a fine-tuning data set. I don't know. Do you have an intuition? I'm going to guess, you know, maybe you didn't want to go up to too high parameter models. Uh, yeah, for like computational reasons, um, but uh, for but I do generally agree with you. Like, if we have, I think if we have a decent initialization, um, like from the like language modeling on, say, like like quote unquote like infinite data, um, then I think we should be able to arguably at least retain the same performance or get yep. like very close to it. Um, th there perhaps there is a time like a point where it just gets too big. Um, that it starts overfitting, but I would say that would probably happen when it like not not close to the the parameters we tested for. Now you s oh sorry. Also, I think oh yeah sorry. So like one thing, one good thing about like offline RL, so you can also collect a lot more um, trajectory data from just running agents and and then train on offline data. So I think um, there's that perspective in, in this in this figure. Um, like uh, we can also train like a larger model and on larger uh, trajectory data and then we, if you have like a really good language initialization then you can also try that sort of direction also i think in the future do you have an idea how that trades off like would i rather would i rather invest into pre-training my model on language data or would i rather invest into gathering more offline rl data personally i think if you're working with a fixed like say okay say if we fix the amount of offline rl data um and say we're gonna like use that versus like designing like a better algorithm or something i would say pre-train your language model um 
But then again, as we see with the like GPT versus GPT experiment, making it that much bigger, like sure it does help, like by by um, some margin, but it's not like that super significant. Um, so based on that, if we're gonna assume that language transfer is only like a certain set of maybe limited uh, properties to uh, these RL tasks, then I would say yeah, collect more um, RL data. I would say you said at the beginning you tried it out you thought about it 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 kind of all it worked out of or initially you got some promising results was there ever a thing that didn't work like like the something in this project you tried and just didn't work at all or it didn't work at first uh any sort of avenues you got stuck in i would say that what was interesting uh was that the cosine um, the cosine loss that we added, uh, especially like towards uh, like later stages, everything sort of smooths up. But this more has to do with uh, how fast the model converges. So that so actually maybe we should have ablated this, but the cosine uh, loss actually allows the model to converge much faster. And uh, one thing that was interesting is especially in the early stages that the cosine. So say we weren't using the cosine embedding loss initially, and we just had like GPT and GPT, a GPT. And GPT was like quite a bit lower um, than GPT, but then like say GPT without this extra loss and then GPT with the loss, GPT yep. managed to catch up to GPT, which is like pretty mind blowing to me. Um, so like something like that was interesting. I wouldn't say like a hiccup because it actually worked like pretty well, um, like straight off the bat, but uh, it was pretty interesting to see. And another thing was um, without, say like the positional embeddings for example um i would you would generate like i think we ablated this but we would generally see like quite uh lower uh returns um and things like that so maybe even like the position transferred from language is also quite important um is there is there anything else you'd like to get out about this paper uh can people can people get into this themselves uh your your code is it available yeah uh, so actually, it's in the fo footnote uh, right. of the first page. Um, so yeah, I, I think uh, this stuff personally is super interesting uh, to see how we can transfer different sequence uh, modeling tasks to each other. Sort of unites it, like say one big, big model that handles all the sequences uh, or something like that. Another thing that was actually pretty cool is with like the language modeling co-training uh, that we did. Um, when we did it, the language, like it was, we actually had a model that was able to language model and was able to handle trajectories at the same time. And like the language modeling performance didn't degrade significantly, um, which was also pretty cool um, because it means that we, can send, we essentially have the capacity, even at a small scale, um, to do both of these tasks at once. Um, and if we have like these models that are able to handle these separately, um, then it begs the question, okay, what can we do together? Um, like, can we model everything all together? Like, basically, I think with, um, what was it? The, like, say, like, with multilingual pre-training um, that we have, it's sort of like until, I guess, Ember, or maybe like a, a few papers before that, we didn't really feed old uh, languages just together at once and see what happens. Um, and then on top of that, we see, like, oh, we have, like, this zero-shot transfer. Uh, whether it's truly zero shot is a different question, but still, it's pretty cool. Um, and I think if we can sort of replicate that 
uh, say we have um, like, I don't know, a remotely related language modeling, uh, like a domain and language. And if we fine tune on this domain and language, suddenly we can do like trajectory modeling on this domain that say has to do with what was talked about in language and things like that. Like it opens a new set of possibilities for maybe like generalization um, and just like zero, zero shot. <laughs> I don't like using that word, but like uh, that sort of performance in general, like these new behaviors and stuff. Cool. Excellent. Well, um, Michelle and, and Yutaro, thank you very much for being here and sharing, sharing the projects. I hope to see you again very soon um with more more modalities and and uh more i think this is i, I i'm still i'm still uh amazed sort of by by the results i find them really cool and yeah good luck in the future <laughs>